We are indeed going to turn to God's word now. Just join me in a moment of prayer. I see on the comments, uh, Nigel's popped down uh, that his uh, son has tested uh, positive. Son, uh, Josh, I believe, um, has tested positive for coronavirus and his uh, girlfriend, Alex, showing symptoms. You know, we may see quite a bit more of this over the next uh, few weeks, but I think it's right as fellowship when we see these things, we pause and pray and we'll remember them and also everyone at the moment who may be um, suffering with with COVID. So, Father, as we turn to your word now, to your amazing hope and promises for us, we also ask for your mercy and for your healing and your protection. Pray for Josh and for his girlfriend, Alex, and for all those at the moment who have symptoms or who are concerned, who are struggling in this moment with the virus still. We pray for your healing now, comfort for the family, reassurance for all, and that they would get through well and uh, recover uh, fully from this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's uh, turn to uh, the... Uh, scriptures this morning that Sally just read. Thank you, Sally. Um, this morning's talk is called Preparing to Meet the Master, and it's Mark 1, verses 1 to 8. And so here we are, as really you notice from my prayer just then, we're gathered together here, still in our home, still creature at home, poised in a moment of time that once again feels significant. Mig was just putting his finger on it again this morning. We've had six months of church at home now, and we know it's the best we can do for all the heart and reason that we do it. In the way we do, it's still not the same, and it's not as good as being together. We've also had six months of living under the weight and disruption and stress and grief of this global pandemic. Six months that have reminded us, haven't they, that we're not in control of our lives as we thought we were, or this world that we live in. And now... Perhaps just as we thought we were going back to normal, as all the pressures begin to put back on on working and returning, we once again have a rise in the transmission rates, don't we? That will inevitably affect and shape the next few months to come. We may have begun to think we'd got through it all, but there is still a significant journey ahead. And the question is, how are we going to respond in this moment now? Well, right now, I want to invite you to respond by doing something really significant in this moment. I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me, because this morning, as a church family, we begin a brand new sermon series looking at Jesus. And there is no one else I'd rather turn to in this moment than Jesus, our Lord, our friend, our saviour, our rock, our king. And I'm excited that we're beginning a brand new series, actually. A brand new start is called In the Footsteps of Jesus and it's focusing on the one we want to follow through it all. And my prayer is that over the next 12 weeks, this series will be for each and every one of us a fresh look at Jesus For those who have known him and loved him for many years, I pray that turning again to study his life and his teaching and his ministry in this moment, in this season now, will inspire you again in your faith. Inspire you and fill you with passion to keep going strong, to worship and honour and adore Jesus all the more. 
And for those who are still unsure, who are still exploring or on the fringes, even this morning, you are so welcome, by the way. We love that you're tuning in. We love that you're exploring what and who God is all about. But my prayer is that through this series, you'll come to realize there is no one like Jesus. No other name, the Bible says, by which we must be saved. For he is the hope of the nations and he is the hope of all who put their trust in him. And my prayer is that you will give your life to Jesus and let it be transformed forevermore. My prayer for all of us is that in this series, we're going to grow to see the world more through Jesus's eyes. See this moment in history and time through Jesus's eyes to understand more fully and to share the good news that he is and that he brings. To feel again his compassion for the least and the last and the lost. To learn together to step further in following in his ministry of healing and power as he brings about his kingdom rule and reign in this earth. We don't know where the path ahead is going to lead us, friends, do we? But we do know the one we're wanting to follow through it all. And we meet him afresh each time we open the written word of God, our Bibles, and we ask and invite and let the Holy Spirit bring it alive to us again in our hearts and our minds and our lives. So grab your Bibles, would you? Maybe you've got out of the habit of grabbing a Bible with streaming online. If it's nearby, go grab it. If you've got your phone, don't get distracted on uh, whatever game it might be, Candy Crush or something like that. But load up the Bible app or go to Google and look up Mark's Gospel. Um, Mark 1, we begin today. And it begins... And we start with the very first verse, which actually tells us what this book and in fact, our whole faith is all about the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the son of God. Friends, we have good news here. The story and testimony of Jesus is the best news and we all need to hear it. Why are we so passionate about Jesus as a church? Why do we get so excited about him? Why do we focus so often, so unapologetically on Jesus? Well, it's because he's God's Messiah, God's chosen one, God's anointed one. He is more than that. He is God's son, the presence of God himself, who stepped into our hurting, broken world to save us. He became like us and walked with us to save us, no matter what season. No matter what's happening in the world, the story of Jesus brings hope and truth and transformation and healing and forgiveness. And so that's what we're going to delve into this series. Mark's passionate record of this Jesus, of our Jesus. Mark's good news, his gospel, which means good news for all to hear. But as we start, I think it's always good on the first sermon in a series just to set the uh, scene a little bit and understanding Mark's gospel um, is a good place to start a few things about this book you see Mark is one of four accounts that we call the gospels or the good newses of Jesus um, in the New Testament Matthew Mark Luke and John all four of them speak about Jesus life and ministry his death and his 
resurrection. And it's found at the beginning of the New Testament, these four. But for many years, Mark was considered the poor brother of the other three. He was shorter and many thought it was just a cut down version of Matthew or Luke. But what we now realise is that Mark's gospel was almost certainly the first and the earliest account, which Matthew and Luke later used for their own uh, compiling of the stories of Jesus, to which they added their own insights and other additions. But Mark was the first. I've got a little friend here who's come to join me. Yeah, you want to say hello to everyone? I'm sure now mummy sees this, she'll come running in here and she'll come and say, come on, Harry, come with me. But it's lovely to see you, Harry. And you sit there and you can listen, bud. So Mark's was the first and the earliest and the others used Mark, we believe, certainly Matthew and Luke did, to write their own accounts. Um, thank you, darling. Emily's coming in to take little Harry. Thank you, sweetheart. There you go. See you in a minute, buddy. Thanks for coming and visiting. Love you. It was written almost certainly about 60 to 70 AD, only about 30 years after Jesus's death. And up to that point, the stories of Jesus would have been transmitted orally. They would have been treasured by the communities. And more than that, the eyewitnesses were still alive. The early disciples would have corrected as people shared the stories and made sure that all that was said was true. But towards the end of his life, Peter that awesome, great, rugged fisherman who put his foot in his mouth so often, but who came to be one of Jesus' most treasured disciples and was such a core figure in the early church. He realised that he needed to find a way of preserving this truth and to pass it on to the next generation so they would have it too. Um, so he wrote this in 2 Peter 1. So I will always remind you of these things about Jesus, even though you know them and you're firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon be put it aside. As our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, I will soon die, he's saying. But I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things, the things about Jesus. Peter wanted the next generations to always have the truth about Jesus. And we believe that this Mark's gospel is exactly that. It's the result of Peter's desire to write it down. And that his younger friend and companion, John Mark, who you can read about in the book of Acts and Paul's letters, compiled it and wrote it down for him. But who was this Mark figure? Who was he? Well, we're not 100 percent sure, but it's quite likely that John Mark was a young boy at the time of Jesus, that he grew up in the house where the earliest disciples met. That same house, if you remember, and if you've read it in Acts, where Peter comes banging on the door uh, when he's uh, miraculously freed from prison and Rhoda shuts the door in his face and, and runs off to tell the other disciples. That house, we believe, was John Mark's house, the same John Mark or Mark who wrote this account and this young lad must have grown up with the buzz and wonder of that first Jerusalem church and he must have grown up to respect and honor these followers of Jesus who told and shared their stories of his life and ministry and then they themselves worked miracles and healing and preached of Jesus so passionately and so he himself became a follower of Jesus and it was his great honor to write the first ordered account of Jesus life and teachings Mark's good news, but it was from Peter's account. So before we start reading it, and I'll keep these really quick, we could dig into 
so much. The Bible is so rich and so amazing. We can do lots of theology and lots of Bible study to understand more about Mark. But here's three interesting things just to know, three insights as we move forward and to keep in your memory as the sermon series goes on. The first that makes Mark unique is it's written with such pace and with such energy. It swiftly moves from one account of Jesus to the next. It keeps saying, and then Jesus did this, and then Jesus did that, and again Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus did that. And you get such a sense of energy and passion from Mark as if he can barely keep up with the stories and the passion of Peter as he's recounting them to him and he's penning them down. But although it's quick, it's not without little details and without personal quirky details that the other accounts decided that they didn't need to include, such as the cushion that Jesus used on the boat when he slept in the storm. More of that in another sermon coming up in the series. Secondly, Mark can be considered quite harsh on Peter. And it's one of the reasons we think it really has come from Peter's account, because Mark would have honoured this man, this great man in the church, And yet Peter knew he was just, as I said earlier, an ordinary eager fisherman who put his foot in his mouth so often. And he wouldn't let the account get airbrushed. He wouldn't let Mark write out all his mistakes and messes. Peter wanted people to realise his mistakes over and over again and that Jesus still loved him and forgave him and used him in amazing ways, just as he does with you and me. And thirdly, there's this strange thing called the messianic secret, at least that's what Uh, theologians and biblical scholars call it in Mark. There's this habit Jesus has in Mark of saying to people when they realise he's the son of God, don't tell anyone. And you ask, why would Jesus do that? Well, it's quite possible that Jesus didn't want to become just a travelling showman. He didn't want rumours that this is a wonder worker just to go out and people to get the wrong idea. He wanted people to come and meet him. And be transformed by his presence and his compassion themselves as they met with him. Because the type of Messiah that Jesus was, was not the type of Messiah the crowds and the people expected. Yes, he was going to bring in, usher in God's kingdom rule, God's justice and God's God's goodness and his perfect rule in this world. And that is a kingdom that is still growing until one day it will come in all its fullness. We know it in part now, but not in full yet. Yes, he ushered in the beginning of that kingdom, but it wasn't a kingdom that was ushered in with armies and power and violence, but through love and grace and sacrifice and through his death on a cross. You see, all through Mark's gospel, Jesus is a stumbling block block to others. There is such opposition in Mark's gospel that you'll feel. Jesus is there and others hate him for what he teaches and how he acts. But Jesus wanted them to believe in him. And Mark wrote this gospel so that you and I might believe in Jesus. That we might make our own choice about who he is. To see and hear all the criticism and arguments against him, but to examine Jesus for ourselves. And to realise and have faith and belief that he is the son of God who came to save the world and bring about God's redemption plan. Mark wrote so you would believe, so that you might know the truth about Jesus and respond in faith. Because this is the good news that Jesus came to save broken, 
ordinary sinners like you and me. And this is the best news ever. And so Mark begins the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as was written by the prophet Isaiah, he says. Mark recognises that this Jesus coming is the good news that God had promised long ago, hundreds of years ago from his prophets and had now brought to pass. God's plans had been out working throughout history, not on the timeline of humanity, but in God's perfect timing. And it's good to remember that God's plans do not fail. They are outworked throughout history until he wraps up history one day and Jesus comes again it is good to remember in a season and a time like this that God is still on the throne he is still in control right from the outset Mark wants us to sit up and take note to see what God has done to hear King Jesus's call on your life and mine and to respond and he begins by focusing on preparing to meet the master which is the next title. Thank you, Grace, behind the scenes. The first great emphasis Mark brings was the need for people to get their hearts and lives prepared to meet the master. He begins his account by painting this vivid picture of the moment when all the people in the region of Judea were called by John to prepare to meet the coming king. And as Sally read, Isaiah wrote, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So significant was the coming of Jesus that even the coming of the messenger who would announce his coming was foretold hundreds of years before. I love it. And John was this great messenger who would come to call the people to change their ways and to prepare to meet the master. But picture him in your mind for a moment. The Bible describes him as a wild man who wore rough, hairy camel clothing. He ate locusts and wild honey. He hung out in the wilderness, shouting at people that they needed to change. People who probably thought, You know that they were all right by God. They were part of his people. But he said, no, you need to repent for the forgiveness of sins and prepare to meet the master. Surely would no one would listen to a messenger as rough and severe as this. Surely no one would respond to this wild bearded man. But we read that the people came out in their droves to John from Jerusalem and all Judea. Why? it seems to me that the people were hungry. They were hungry for more of God. They were spiritually hungry for his word, for his forgiveness and change in their lives. They were hungry for a fresh start and a new beginning. And this wild and shouty man who no doubt reminded them of Elijah of old was actually bringing the message of God that they so desperately longed to hear. It wasn't about the facade with John, it was about the message and the heart. It's time to prepare, to get ready, to repent, to meet God's chosen King, Jesus. I wonder, are you hungry this morning, hungry for more of God, for his forgiveness and change in your life, for a fresh start and a new beginning with Jesus? I know that I don't want to do this next season without Jesus. I don't even want to try. Do you? 
If you're hungry now for more of Jesus in your life, then keep listening this morning to what God wants to say to you. You see, John's call to the people was to get their hearts ready and their lives ready for what God was about to do in the coming season. There were four things here that Mark draws out. And the first was that the people needed to repent and they needed to take for themselves this step of obedience and faith in baptism. But also from John's teaching, we realize that they were called to humble themselves and to be expectant for the one of such significance who was now coming. John said, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John was trying to help the people understand that the master of all the universe himself was coming. The very creator of the mighty mountains and the rolling river by which he stood and in which he baptized people. He was coming. So high, so honored, so elevated is he that I wouldn't be able to stoop down like a servant and untie his sandals, John says. And yet when he comes, he's going to come with such generosity and authority that will change everything for all who would receive him and believe in him. He is going to give the Holy Spirit who only given by God so very rarely to his most significant prophets and kings of old up to now. He will give the Holy Spirit to all who would believe and follow him. John is hinting here already. This is the man with the authority to give God's Holy Spirit. This is no mere man who's coming. And he is going to give generously. Baptize, soak, cover, fill you with the spirit of God. This was the last and greatest cry of the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the old way of relating with God under the law. The Old Covenant laws and kings and prophets had all led up and pointed to this moment. Every single story that you read in the Bible before Matthew points to this great promised moment when God himself would step down and come and rescue the lost and the broken to bring about his just and perfect kingdom rule and to establish his new relationship, his new covenant people, his new family, one through his sacrifice, through his blood, through his death and resurrection. Jesus himself would teach that because of this ministry of preparation that John the Baptist had, that he was the greatest of all the old covenant prophets, greater than even Elijah or King David. But then he says, even the very least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Such is the shift and the new thing that God did when he came to earth and changed how we could now relate with him how we could be adopted in his family and be his children. And that means that you and I and all who hear Jesus' call to come and follow need to give him our yes. You see, although the one who John declared was coming would be far above all others before us since he's not someone just to ooh and ah at for just a fleeting moment. 
like the arrival of the Queen for a visit. Quick, shove everything under the bed until she's gone. It's what Becky calls Matt tidying. It's when we've got someone coming and our house is a chaos because we've got four kids and I literally just shove everything under the bed and go, it'll be all right and we'll sort it out later, which is what we then do. But that wasn't the type of preparation John was calling us to. You see, this Jesus was going to come to walk with you for all eternity. This Jesus call to us is still to come and follow today and tomorrow and next week and in this season and the next season and for all the rest of our lives until we go to be with him. But it's not forced. It's not compulsory. It's the greatest invitation from the highest king of all. Will you choose to come and follow in the footsteps of Jesus yourself this morning? You see, I was mowing the lawn and I'll be quick now. I see my time is going, but I was mowing the lawn this last week and I suddenly realized something was behind me. I'm thinking, what is that? It's not the dog. And as I looked back, as I was pushing the petrol mower, I saw it was little Harry who came and joined me a moment ago. He had decided because I was mowing the lawn, he wanted to be mowing the lawn. And even though it was so noisy for him, he had his little hands over his fingers, uh, over his ears. He was marching in step with me and laughing and giggling about the fact that I was going up and down in rows and he was marching around. And every now and then I'd say, would you go and move that bit of stone? Would you move that stick? And out he'd go and then right behind me, keeping in step with me. You see, because he loves me, he wants to be with me. He wants to do the things I'm doing. He wants the joy of being with me. He wants to learn what I know. And like you saw this morning, he just wants to come and sit by me. If dad's speaking into the camera and sharing the sermon, then I want to come and sit by him and speak into a camera and see what's happening. It's an imperfect picture, guys, but it is at least a picture of what it is for us to follow Jesus, to love him so much that we want to do the things he does, to walk in step with him, to trust him with our lives, to delight in his presence as he delights in us and to follow him every step of the way and he loves us so much that he gives us his holy spirit so that we can be more like him and follow him every step of the way and yet even if this is our greatest desire i'm so aware guys that in times like this and in seasons like this in our stress-filled lives it's easy to miss what jesus is up to to be too busy to be too frantic to be filled with our own concerns to be running around doing things in our own strength to rush ahead or to flag behind when actually jesus is calling us to walk forward together with him at his pace step by step before we know it if we don't we can be miles away from where he's been calling us and we realize perhaps in a moment like this that we're hungry to be back walking in his footsteps again you see, if we're going to follow Jesus today and in this next season and the years to come, then we need to prepare our hearts sometimes and our priorities. We need to recheck them and make sure that we're ready for the journey ahead to realign our thinking again, our rhythm of life, our actions and priorities ready for what Jesus wants to do and where he wants to lead us. But haven't I already done that, you might say? I'm already a Christian. I've already aligned myself to Jesus and set my priorities Yes. But regularly taking the time to recheck over and re-prepare our hearts and lives ready for Jesus is so important when it comes to our faith. Think of it like a boat. I don't own a sailing boat, but I'd love to. 
If anyone can ever take me out on a sailing boat, I'd love to come join you. Actually, maybe not. I really am very seasick. So it's a bad idea. But anyway, I'd love to have a boat. And if you owned a boat, you wouldn't just prepare it when you first got it for the for the rest of its life. You would want to prepare it in every season, ready for the new season ahead. You'd want to check the sails and check the rigging and check the paint and restock the supplies and make sure it's waterproof and ready for all that lies ahead. And you wouldn't just do that at the beginning. You'd do that before every new season and you'd do it in a small way before every sailing, every venture you went out on. Do you remember last week Lynn Green spoke about her heart and her desire for us as a church to unfurl our sails and to allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to take us where he is leading us, not knowing what's ahead, not trying to force or rush things, but pulling on the rigging and raising our sails to catch the wind of God's spirit, following where he wants us to go. But the boat website that I looked up about what might the preps be if I owned a boat said something telling. It said that the first time most people realise something is wrong with their rig is when something breaks. And I think that can be like us as Christians. The first time we know our heart has wandered and we've got our priorities wrong is when it all comes crashing down and we realise we feel out of faith, out of hope. We feel like chucking it all in. And so we regularly need to take the time to stop and check and prepare our hearts and lives to walk with Jesus through it all. Indeed, every day is a fresh chance to prepare our hearts to meet with Jesus and what he has for us that day. Every Sunday is a fresh chance to prepare our hearts for the Lord's Day and the week ahead. But this morning, I believe Jesus is saying to each one of us, prepare your heart again to walk with me in this season to come. It has been a long journey so far. But there is still much ahead. Challenges, yes, and blessings too. Difficulties, yes, and joys too. So we need to be ready. So I want to finish now this morning by taking a moment to think about how you and I might personally need to prepare for the season ahead. Prepare our hearts and lives to walk with Jesus as a church and as individuals in the season ahead. And just as John called the people, here are four things I'd love you to reflect on. In a moment of quiet and worship that we're going to go now in our final song in a moment. But also take these things into this week. Write them down if you can now and think about them. Turn them into your prayers this week as we prepare personally and individually for the season ahead, walking with Jesus and all he has for us. And the first thing is to repent, as John said, and as Ali led us through in prayer. To recognise where we've gone wrong, to say sorry, to set right the things we've been getting wrong, to consider is there anything we need to change in how we're thinking, how we're acting? Are there any attitudes we need to stop and repent of and say sorry for? And then the next thing to write down is to take the next step of faith or obedience, just like those people on the River Jordan. It wasn't just the baptism done to them. They chose to respond. They chose to take the next step of faith and obedience and the call to baptism. And I believe that God's call to baptism, baptism in Jesus name, uh, which is different to John's baptism, but baptism in Jesus name. I don't believe God will have stopped calling his people to that in this season. Even though we haven't been in church, we could find a way. Is it time for you to get baptized? It is the mark 
the marker and the step of obedience of faith. If you love Jesus, have you been baptised? Have you been baptised? And if you haven't, you love Jesus, then can I say to you the next step of faith and obedience is to come and contact me this week and we can begin exploring together a, a, a discipleship baptism course that would lead up to that happy day. And we'll make it happen, even if we're not able to be in the church together. We can go in and social distance it somehow. Is that your next step? Is it membership, committing to this family and this fellowship again uh, that you feel God has called you to? Or is it something different? Is it a step of courage or service or prayer? Is it even a phone call to someone that you've been putting off? Whatever it is, what's the next step of faith or obedience? Because if you're following Jesus, there will be one. And finally, the last two things, a reminder from John to humble ourselves in this season. Humility is the way forward. To recognise again that Jesus is the master, not us. He is Lord and King. To trust him with your life and your future again. His plans are eternal. They have not failed. We need to stop fighting for control. Put up the sails and let the wind of his spirit lead us on. And finally, be expectant about what God wants to do with us as a church and as you as an individual and your family. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. Expect and invite Jesus to come in power and speak to you in this season by his Holy Spirit. Even right now, this morning, as we stop now and turn to worship and wait upon him, expect that he has good plans ahead. They may not all be easy, but he loves you and he's calling you to follow him. So it's a moment now this morning to prepare your hearts and my heart for what Jesus has in this season to come. So take a moment now as we close our service with the song, Jesus be the centre. As you sing, turn it into a prayer and prepare your hearts to walk with Jesus in the season ahead.